Hello and welcome to Lifetimes of Learning, a production at the Buddhist Discussion Centre Australia. In our podcast series, we will be discussing the teachings and principles of Buddha Dharma, which is just as relevant today as they were 2,600 years ago. Whether you are on the meditation cushion or on your way to work, we invite you to bring your mind inside and listen to the teachings of the Buddha. Welcome to part two of a very illuminating Buddhist text called The Questions of King Melinda. We begin the program with a summary of part one, which was published as a Lifetimes of Learning podcast on the 12th of September 2017. This story relates a famous conversation between Greek-born King Melinda and the venerable Buddhist monk Nagasena. Throughout the text, King Melinda is unsure about the correct way to view the Buddhist teachings and thus asks a series of difficult questions to the venerable monk Nagasena. Nagasena, through his great wisdom, illustrates the Dharma through common, everyday examples which eventually inspires the kings taking refuge in the Triple Gem, that is, refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. King Melinda is described in the text as a man who was learned, experienced, intelligent and competent and who at the proper times carefully observed all the appropriate Brahminic rites with regards to things past, present and future. As a disputant, he was hard to assail, hard to overcome, and he was recognised as a prominent sectarian teacher. With his status as a prominent sectarian teacher, he had the habit of assailing the nearby Sangha with very difficult questions, then counter-questioning those he interrogated, which at most times left them at a loss. Then one day, a company of Arhants sends a message to the Venerable Nagasena saying, That King Melinda constantly harasses the order of monks with questions and counter-questions, with arguments and counter-arguments. Please go, Nagasena, and subdue him. Nagasena agreed to talk to the king and went forth to where he was staying with a company of 80,000 monks. Upon exchanging pleasantries, Nagasena immediately proceeded to claim that he himself called Nagasena did not really exist, which began a long conversation between the Venerable and the King about the principle of selflessness and the law of karma. So now we will begin with part two of the questions of King Melinda. The King asked, Is cessation nirvana? Yes, Your Majesty. How is that, Nagasena? All the foolish common people take delight in the senses and their objects, are impressed by them, are attached to them. In that way, they are carried away by the flood and are not set free from birth, old age and death, from grief, lamentation, pain, sadness and despair, 
They are, I say, not set free from suffering. But the well-informed holy disciples do not take delight in the senses and their objects, are not impressed by them, are not attached to them. And in consequence, their craving ceases. The cessation of craving leads successively to the cessation of grasping, of becoming, of birth, of old age and death, of grief, lamentation, pain, sadness and despair. That is to say, to the cessation of all this mass of ill, it is thus that cessation is nirvana. Very good, Nagasena. The king asked, Do all win nirvana? No, they do not. Only those win nirvana who, progressing correctly, know by their super-knowledge those dharmas which should be known by super-knowledge, comprehend those dharmas which should be comprehended, forsake those dharmas which should be forsaken, develop those dharmas which should be developed, and realize those dharmas which should be realized. Very good, Nagasena. The king asked, Do those who have not won nirvana know how happy a state it is? Yes, they do. But how can one know this about nirvana without having attained it? Now, what do you think, your majesty? Do those who have not had their hands and feet cut off know how hard it is to have them cut off? Yes, they do. And how do they know it? From hearing the sound of the lamentations of those whose hands and feet have been cut off. So it is by hearing the words of those who have seen nirvana that one knows it to be comforted. Well said, Nagasena. King Melanda said, I will grant you, Nagasena, that nirvana is absolute ease, and that, nevertheless, one cannot point to its form or shape, its duration or size, either by simile or explanation, by reason or by argument. But is there perhaps some quality of nirvana which it shares with other things? and which lends itself to a metaphorical explanation. Its form, O king, cannot be elucidated by similes, but its qualities can. How good to hear that, Nagasena. Speak then quickly, so that I may have an explanation of even one of the aspects of Nirvana. Appease the viva of my heart. Allay it with the cool, sweet breezes of your words. Nirvana shares one quality with the lotus, two with water, three with medicine, ten with space, three with the wishing jewel, and five with a mountain peak. As the lotus is unstained by water, so is Nirvana unstained by all the defilements. As cool water allays feverish heat, so also nirvana is cool and allays the fever of all the passions. Moreover, as water removes the thirst of men and beasts who are exhausted, parched and thirsty and overpowered by heat, 
So also nirvana removes the cravings for sensuous enjoyments, the craving for future becoming, the craving for the cessation of becoming. As medicine protects from the torments of poison, so nirvana protects from the torments of the poisonous passions. Moreover, as medicine puts an end to sickness, so nirvana puts an end to all sufferings. Finally, nirvana and medicine both give security. And these are the ten qualities which nirvana shares with space. Neither is born, grows old, dies, passes away, or is reborn, both are unconquerable, cannot be stolen, are unsupported, arose, respectively for birds and arhats, to journey on, are unobstructed and infinite. Like the wishing jewel, nirvana grants all one can desire, brings joy and sheds light. As a mountain peak is lofty and exalted, so is nirvana. As a mountain peak is unshakable, so is nirvana. As a mountain is inaccessible, so is nirvana, inaccessible to all the passions. As no seeds can grow on a mountain peak, so the seeds of all the passion cannot grow in nirvana. And finally, as a mountain peak is free from all desire to please or displease, so is nirvana. Well said, Nagasena. So it is, and as much I accept it. King Melinda said, In the world one can see things produced of karma, things produced from a cause, things produced by nature. Tell me, what in the world is not born of karma or a cause or of nature? There are two such things, space and nirvana. Do not, Nagasena, corrupt the jinnah, Buddha's words. Do not answer the question ignorantly. What did I say, Your Majesty, that you speak thus to me? What you said about space not being born of karma, or from a cause, or from nature, that was correct. But with many hundreds of arguments has the Lord Buddha proclaimed to his disciples the way to the realization of nirvana. And then you say that nirvana is not born of a cause. It is true that the Lord has with many hundreds of arguments proclaimed to his disciples the way to the realization of nirvana. But that does not mean that he has spoken of a cause for the reduction of nirvana. Here, Nagasena, we do indeed enter from darkness into greater darkness, from a jungle into a deeper jungle from a thicket into a denser thicket. Inasmuch as we are given a cause for the realization of nirvana, but no cause for the production of that same dharma, nirvana. If there is a cause for the realization of nirvana, we would also expect one for its production. If there is a son's father, one would, for that reason, also expect the father to have had a father. If there is a pupil's teacher, one would for that reason also expect the teacher to have had a teacher. If there is a seed for a sprout, 
one would for that reason also expect the seed to have had a seed. Just so, if there is a cause for the realization of nirvana, one would for that reason also expect a cause for its production. If a tree or a creeper has a top, then for that reason it must also have a middle and a root. Just so, if there is a cause for the realization of nirvana, one would for that reason also expect a cause for its production. Nirvana, O king, is not something that should be produced. That is why no cause for its production has been proclaimed. Please, Nagasena, give me a reason. Convince me by an argument so that I can understand this point. Well then, O king, attend carefully. Listen closely and I will tell you the reason for this. Could a man with his natural strength go up from here to the Himalaya mountains? Yes, he could. But could that man with his natural strength bring the Himalaya mountains here? No, he could not. Just so, it is possible to point out the way to the realization of nirvana, but impossible to show a cause for its production. Could a man, who with his natural strength, who has crossed in a boat over the great ocean, get to the farther shore? Yes, he could. But could that man, with his natural strength, bring the farther shore of the great ocean shore here? No, he could not. Just so, one can point out the way to the realization of nirvana, but one cannot show a cause for its production. And what is the reason for that? Because that dharma, nirvana, is unconditioned. Then Nagasena is nirvana unconditioned. So it is, O king, unconditioned is nirvana, not made by anything. Of nirvana, one cannot say that it is produced or unproduced, or that it should be produced, that it is past or present or future, or that one can become aware of it by the eye, or the ear, or the nose, or the tongue, or the body. In that case, Nagasena, you indicate Nirvana as a Dharma which is not, and Nirvana does not exist. Nirvana is something which is recognizable by the mind. A holy disciple who has followed the right road sees Nirvana with a mind which is pure, sublime, straight, unimpeded, and disinterested. But what then is that nirvana like? Give me a simile, and convince me by arguments. For a dharma which exists can surely be illustrated by a simile. Is there, great king, something called wind? Yes, there is such a thing. Please, will your majesty show me the wind? Its color or shape and whether it is thin or thick, long or short. One cannot point to the wind like that, for the wind does not lend itself to being grasped with the hands or to being untouched. But nevertheless, there is such a thing called wind. If one cannot point to the wind, one might conclude that there is no wind at all. But I know, Nagasena, that there is wind. I am quite convinced of it in spite of the fact that I cannot point it out. Just so, your majesty, there is nirvana, 
but one cannot point to nirvana, either by its colour or its shape. Very good, Nagasena. Clear is the simile. Convincing is the argument. So it is, and so I accept it. There is a nirvana. The king asked, Does someone who is no more reborn feel any unpleasant feelings? The elder replied, Some he feels and others not. Which one does he feel and which one not? He feels physical, but not any mental pain. How is that? The causes and conditions which produce feelings of physical pain have not ceased to operate, whereas those which produce feelings of mental pain have. And so it has been said by the Lord Buddha, only one kind of feelings he feels, physical and not mental. And when he feels a physical pain, why does he not escape into final nirvana by dying quickly? An arhat has no more likes or dislikes. Arhats do not shake down the unripe fruit. The wise wait for it to mature. And so it has been said by the elder Sariputra, the Dharma's general. It is not death. It is not life I cherish. I bide my time as a servant waiting for his wage. It is not death. It is not life I cherish. I bide my time in mindfulness and wisdom steeped. Well put, Nagasena. The king asked, Is the body dear to you, recluses? No, it is not. But then, why do you look after it and cherish it so? Has your majesty somewhere and at some time in the course of a battle been wounded by an arrow? Yes, that has happened. In such cases, is not the wound anointed with salve, smeared with oil and bandaged with fine linen? Yes, so it is. Then, is this treatment a sign that the wound is dear to your majesty? No, it is not dear to me, but all this is done to it so that the flesh may grow again. Just so, the body is not dear to the recluses. Without being attached to the body, they take care of it for the purpose of making a holy life possible. The Lord Buddha has compared the body to a wound, and so the recluses take care for the body as for a wound without being attached to it. For the Buddha said, A damp skin hides it, but it is a wound, large with nine openings. All round it oozes impure and evil-smelling matter. Well answered, Nagasena. The king asked, What is the difference between someone with greed and someone without greed? The one is attached, the other unattached. What does that mean? The one converts, the other does not. As I see it, the greedy person and the one who is free from greed both wish for agreeable food and neither of them wishes for bad food. But the one who is not free from greed eats his food while experiencing both its taste and some greed for taste. The one who is free from greed eats his food while experiencing its taste but without having any greed for it. Very good, Nagasena. 
the king asked, "For what reason does the common worldling suffer both physical and mental pain? Because his thought is so undeveloped, he is like a hungry and excited ox, who has been tied up with a weak, fragile, and short piece of straw or creeper, and who then, when agitated, rushes off, taking his tender with him. So." Someone whose thought is undeveloped gets agitated in his mind when a pain arises in him, and his agitated mind bends and contorts his body and makes it worse. Undeveloped in his mind, he trembles, shrieks, and cries with terror. This is the reason why the common worldling suffer both physical and mental pain. And what is the reason why our hearts feel only one kind of feelings, physical and not mental? The thought of the arhats is developed, well developed. It is tamed, well tamed. It is obedient and disciplined. When invaded by a painful feeling, the arhats firmly grasps at the idea of its impermanence and ties his thought to the post of contemplation. And his thought, tied to the post of contemplation, does not tremble or shake, remains steadfast and undisturbed. But the undisturbing influence of the pain, nevertheless, makes his body bend, contorts it, makes it writhe. That Nagasana is indeed a most wonderful thing in this world, that someone's mind should remain unshaken when his body is shaken. Tell me the reason for that. Suppose, Your Majesty, that there is a gigantic tree with trunk, branches, and leaves. If it were hit by the force of the wind, its branches would shake. But would the trunk also shake? No, venerable sir. Just so, the thought of the arhant does not tremble or shake like the trunk of the gigantic tree. Wonderful Nagasana, most admirable Nagasana. The king, as a result of his discussion with the venerable Nagasena, was overjoyed and humbled. He saw the value in the Buddha's religion, gained confidence in the triple gem, lost his spikiness and abstinence, gained faith in the qualities of the elder. In his observation of the monastic rules, his spiritual progress and his general demeanor. Became trusting and resigned, free from conceit and ignorance, like a cobra whose fangs have been drawn. He said, "Well said, well said, Nagasena. You have answered my questions, which would have given scope to a Buddha. You have answered them well. Apart from the elder Sariputra, the supreme general of the Dharma." There is no one in this religion of Buddha who can deal with questions as well as you do. Forgive my transgressions, Nagasena. May the venerable Nagasena accept me as a lay follower, as one who takes his refuge in the triple gem, from today onwards, as long as I shall live. Before we end this program. We would like to express our gratitude to all the Dharma teachers of the past, present, and future, and wholeheartedly request them all to not pass into parinirvana, but instead stay to assist us 
and all sentient beings in the struggle to find wisdom and true, lasting happiness. May you develop faith and refuge in the Triple Gem. This script was prepared and edited by Alec Sloman, Frank Carter and Anita Hughes. This concludes part two, the question of King Melinda. Thank you for listening to our Lifetimes of Learning podcast. To listen to our other podcast series or our recordings, please go to our website www.bdcu.org.au and click on Dharma Teachings or you can go to our online World Buddhist Radio station from our website by clicking on Buddhist Radio. May you be well and happy. May all beings be well and happy.